Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes of public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the finest service organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. I am Ken Bader, your host for Public Safety Talk Radio, and I have an immensely intriguing guest this morning. Let me tell you a little bit about him. His name is Michael Sagru, and he has a, as I mentioned before I even pressed record, such a long and impressive resume. We could spend a whole show just reading it, but let me give you some highlights. Uh, he began his law enforcement career uh, after, actually in the United States Air Force, as a securities forces officer in 1998. Uh, he later worked for the Walnut Creek Police Department where he had a number of different roles, uh, including patrol officer, driver training instructor, fuel training officer, SIU detective, undercover California DOJ narcotic task force agent. We need to talk about that actually, and a number of other positions. Right now he's a peer volunteer as the West Coast Post Trauma Retreat and an ambassador for Save a Warrior. He's a dedicated advocate for awareness, prevention, education training on post-traumatic stress injury and first responder suicide prevention, and we're all behind that. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's my honor. <laughs> no, the pleasure is all mine, especially um, I have to say thank you for all your service, whether it was in the Air Force or in law enforcement. Uh, I certainly really appreciate it, and I know our audience does as well, so, so thank you very much. Um, as I mentioned, that, that really impressive resume, uh, you served our country in so many different roles, uh, U.S. Air Force captain, police officer. I could read them all off again. Uh, I'm sure you're, you're rightfully proud of all of them. But is there one position that you particularly enjoyed more than others? You know, one that you say, you know, hey, if I could go back and do that for the rest of my life, I would do that. <laughs> uh, absolutely. You know, I loved all the things I've done in my career. But no, there is definitively one single position. And that was when I was undercover for the California Department of Justice on a regional drug task force in Contra Costa County uh, here in Northern California. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Actually, you know, I, I said that you have such an intriguing resume. That was literally one of the first, if not the first things that, that caught my eye. <laughs> tell us a little bit more about that, because we don't have too many undercover folks uh, that are on our show. You know, I'm going to take you back to when I was a brand new police officer. Um, Walnut Creek Police Department for the Bay Area is considered a smaller department, medium-sized. We had about 86 sworn officers. And I remember my first week there, I saw this guy walk into the report writing area and he looked like a total dirtbag. Like I had no idea who this guy was. And I'm thinking to myself, who is this guy in my police department right now? Like, you know, I feel like I need to stand up and confront this guy. And it turned out to be an undercover agent at the time who was assigned to this task force. And right then and there, I said, I don't know what it was, but I, I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I, I set my sights on that position from day one. And in my department, literally only one person could serve in that role at one time. Hmm. And typically that position would be tied up for anywhere from four to five years. 
And so it's one of those things where you have to time it. Um, it's possible if you don't time it right in a department like mine, you just may miss that opportunity. Yeah. And so what I did was immediately I just focused on being proactive all the time, you know, working graveyard shift, doing just constant stops, whether it be vehicle stops, bicycle stops, pedestrian stops, motel checks, hotel checks, and just constantly trying to find drug dealers, drug users, and to educate myself on what exactly they did and how they operated. And I just also went to any and every training I ever saw from like California Narcotics Officers Association or CPOA or anything that came up that had to do with drugs or illegal narcotics. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you have to grow long hair and a Fu Manchu mustache or did you have to shave your head like I do now? Did you have to do anything like that? Did you get a tattoo? <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, you don't have to do any of those, but I actually was looking forward to doing those things. Um, <laughs> but as you mentioned, I was a former Air Force officer. And so I literally been clean shaven my entire life. Like I never was allowed to grow a beard or a goatee ever since my college days, just because of what I had chosen to do. And so for me, it was like a chance to step outside the box, to step into this new role, embrace it. So the first thing I did was I did shave my head completely. Um, I started growing a goatee which at one point became well, pretty- that both of those things are <laughs> terrible. So, but go ahead. That, you can fit in in any, in any bad neighborhood, I guess, if you look like this, <laughs> go <You> know, ahead. <laughs> but the best part was, is uh, when I was younger, I had, you know, my ear pierced mm. and I decided that I was going to get both my ears pierced for this assignment. And I went out and found like the biggest diamond earrings I could find and put them in each ear and uh, I went shopping, changed my entire wardrobe. I was wearing retro Air Jordans, jeans, um, LRG t-shirts. And I just literally just changed who I was, how I looked. And um, that helped with the process. But, you know, that was the funnest part was that I was out there every single day and nobody had any clue that I was a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember even going home and I had an undercover car that looked nothing like a cop car. And my neighbors started just looking at me really weird because I went from this, you know, clean cut, preppy guy, very conservative to just drastically changing how I looked. (laughs) um, You know, I can even remember being out shopping and I was getting followed in stores by like loss prevention. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went out wine tasting once and they didn't even acknowledge me. They didn't look at me. They acted like I wasn't there. And it's just, it's kind of amazing to see how differently you're treated just based on your appearance. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Did, did you find anything in, in doing that work undercover? Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, trying to, to find and, and eventually prosecute, I would, I would assume drug dealers. Um, was there anything in particular that you find found as uh, kind of a common denominator that this is something that these perpetrators are probably going to do, or was it all across the board? You know, I would say it was all across the board. We worked in different areas of the Bay Area. We targeted, you know, from cartel dealers to local dealers um, to different gangs. So it just, it really varies. Um, And that's part of the excitement is that you never really knew what to expect. And one thing I really liked about the unit was that 
We are in a satellite location. Um, I was working with other officers from all different agencies and we became very close, very tight knit. And it was really a small group of us, but when we had operations, we were all fully involved. Mm -hmm. And you know, you want to talk about adrenaline rushes and excitement. I can't think of any other position like this. Um, I know like most departments, they have SWAT teams. Um, for our department, we had a regional SWAT team. They may get used a couple times a year, mm -hmm. but as an undercover task force agent at that time, we did our own entries and we were doing high risk entries almost on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times a day. And you know, that's where you're kicking down the doors, you're yeah. going in with your guns drawn. And these are the most dangerous situations. You're going into the castle, the home of a drug dealer. Most drug dealers are armed, they have weapons. Um, they're often robbed. And now here we are, you know, first thing in the morning, busting down their door and coming in with guns drawn. And there is nothing that can even describe how that feels. And yeah. it's, it's almost addicting. I mean, it really is just the, the pure excitement and adrenaline rush. And I, and I definitely miss that part of it. Yeah, I've, uh, I've never been a police officer myself, but uh, have had the privilege of talking to a, a number of police officers. And I've, I've heard that that adrenaline rush story uh, or experience before um, that, that that is, is something that you really look forward to. And in your case, miss, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's just. It's hard to put into words, but, um, you know, for me, it was a dream come true. And it's a chance that for me, unfortunately, got cut short um, due to various factors. But yeah. if if I had my say, I would have stayed in that assignment as long as I could have. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Well, you're you're doing something maybe not as adrenaline pinching. <laughs> Uh, but you're, you're certainly doing something at least just as important because you're, you're a dedicated, excuse me, a dedicated advocate for awareness, prevention, education, training on post-traumatic stress injury uh, and first responder suicide prevention, both very necessary. Um, I've talked about this with a, a number of guests for a number of years, and it's, it's a, a subject that is near and dear to my heart. Um, would you say that there's more attention to, to both uh, and there's more services available to first responders today than there was, you know, maybe 10 or even five years ago? Without question. Yeah. I mean, definitively, absolutely, yes. There are many more resources. Um, the culture is changing. People are talking about it. It's becoming normal to um, educate people on this, to share stories, to you know, be real to be human. Um, but you know, the fact is that there's still a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, just like any agency, some are better than others. And honestly, it comes down to leadership and it starts at the top and it goes all the way down to the bottom. Um, but you know, the, the facts are that today, right now, as a law enforcement officer, you're much more likely to die by your own hands than the hands of another. And that's a fact. And, and that's really what we need to change. We need to change that. And we need to make it okay to talk about not being okay. Now a word from our sponsor, the Police Officers Credit Union Association. The POCUA can suggest a credit union that serves public safety professionals in practically every state in the country. 
One state we definitely have covered is California. The police credit union serves all law enforcement personnel and their civilian co-workers, including volunteers within California, employed by any municipal, county, state, or federal agency or special district. They also serve firefighters, EMTs, and court employees in nine counties within the state. The police credit union has proudly been serving first responders since 1953. For more information about the police credit union, go to thepolicecu.org or call 800-222-1391. To find an institution to serve you in any of the other 49 states, go to policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't banking with a POCUA credit union, you're just working with an institution that just so happens to serve public safety professionals, and you deserve better. Uh, unfortunately, we we live in a world where I think there's there's more stress for any first responder, especially law enforcement, than ever before. Um, you're not just dealing with bad guys; you're dealing with folks that uh, literally I just saw not too long ago, um, police officers in a car just driving down the street and six or seven guys just yelling at them saying, we don't want you in our neighborhood. Um, and I thought, all right, you know, how, how terrible is that to be in a stressful job uh, making, in my opinion, you know, less pay than the job is worth and you you have citizens just yelling at your car. Um, yeah, does that contribute to this PTSI and the suicide and and all that? Are you? Because I'm seeing numbers go up, which is is really really unfortunate. Absolutely, it is contributing. I mean, let's yeah. face it. You know, we're out there every single day, putting our lives on the line for complete strangers, and many of those strangers hate us. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at the news, you turn on the media, you would think that, you know, every cop out there is bad, that every cop is getting involved in a shooting every single day. And the media has a lot to do with what's going on and with the anti-law enforcement uh, presence and culture right now. And the facts are that, you know, most officers are never involved in a shooting in their entire career. I mean, that is a fact. Correct. Most officers never have to shoot anybody. But if you turn the news on, you would probably think otherwise. And, you know, another factor is when you're talking about the effects on our officers, especially here in Northern California, mm -hmm. um, in the Bay Area itself, when you look at San Francisco, Contra Costa County, even now Alameda County, we've got very progressive DAs who are literally throwing cops under the bus left and right. And I'm not talking about you know, righteous cases where, you know, there's a bad cop or a corrupt sure. cop, because there are, mm -hmm. let's face it. That's a fact, just like any other profession, it's a reality, but it's a very, very small percentage. 99.9% .9 of all officers are doing the right things for the right reasons. But I've personally seen cases here in the Bay Area recently, righteous uses of forces. I've seen it. I've seen the videos. I've studied them. And the officer was left with no other choice. It was either their life or the suspect's life. And I've seen the DA prosecute these officers. And so now you talk about these officers who have to make split second decisions. And now we're going to have officers who are going to hesitate to use force when they should. I'm talking about rightful uses of force. Mm -hmm. And that's going to cost not only their lives, it's going to cost innocent lives. 
Correct. And, and so right now our officers on an island, they have no support from the public. They have no support from their administration in a lot of cases, from local politicians, whether it's mayors, the DA, the governors, they're out there on an island on their own. And we need to be there to support them. We need to let them know that we have their back, that we're going to help them when they need our help. And it's a real issue. And, and you're right, the numbers are going up. And I think that's a big factor in that. I also think that the reporting's getting better. I think people, because we're talking about it more, I think more people are starting to report these incidents. But still, these numbers are, even with that, are very underreported. The real mm -hmm. true numbers are even much higher. Yeah, I've I've seen it even on a, on a very small scale, um, being a supporter of, of law enforcement. You know, many times I'll just say thank you or hello to a police officer and be friendly. And I noticed you know, in the past, they would just say, you know, thank you, you know, have a good day. And you could see for at least I noticed this for at least the first three or four seconds, they're on guard wondering, okay, what's my intention? And my intention is just simply to be sincere um, and thank them, but I also could understand them being apprehensive. Like, okay, what, what is this guy after? What is he trying to do? Um, and then after a few seconds, they realize as I'm walking away and just saying thank you that I'm not a threat. <laughs> um, and then they kind of calm down. But I, I think, you know, how terrible it is it to, to have to live like that, to have to assume that everybody in the public is a potential threat until you figure out that they're not. I mean, I, I can't even understand, you know, what that does to a sane individual's mind over time. And see what the public doesn't realize exactly what you just said. But, you know, when we're on duty, it's like being in combat. When you equate it to a military member, um, you know, you know, there's threat around you, you know, there's danger, you know, that you're going to potentially be going to dangerous calls, you're going to be contacting people. And so when you're on the job, you're always going to have this heightened sense of alertness and awareness that there is danger all around you. But the difference between combat and the military and civilian law enforcement is that when you're in combat, you know, usually in a foreign country, you're there for a defined period of time, right. and then you're removed from that situation and you're no longer in quote unquote danger. Well, as a law enforcement officer, we're in danger 24 seven and not just on the job, yeah. you know, but the facts are that officers are getting followed to their houses, their families are being threatened. Um, you know, I remember the days where you'd see thin blue lines, flags in front of houses, you'd see stickers on cars. Well, now if you have that, you're a target. And, yeah. and how sad is that? You know, you're out there protecting and defending everybody, you know, people that you don't, complete strangers, you're willing to die for them. Yeah. And yet now, as a law enforcement officer, you have to look over your shoulder 24 seven, when you're on duty, and when you're off duty. And there is no downtime, there is no safe area. And that absolutely takes a physical, and especially a mental toll on our officers. Yeah, 
Yeah, I even for for people that like myself and my wife that support first responders and law enforcement, um, I'm you know thankfully with all the work that I do in the sector, I get I get mugs, I get shirts, I got hats, uh, I've got all kinds of things. And over the last, I want to say, yeah, not just year, I want to say over the last two or three years. I've been very particular and specific about what I wear out in the public. Uh, many times if I'm by myself, you know, I'll say, screw it. I'm wearing my police hat or, or my, my public safety talk radio t-shirt or whatever. And if somebody has a problem, that's their problem. But yeah, I'm very particular about when I'm with my wife. You know, do, do I want to create a target when she's with me? unnecessarily and and you know, i almost you know, feel ashamed to think that way but unfortunately that's that's the society we live in today it's a reality you know i'll wear military t-shirts mm -hmm. but i will never ever wear anything that has law enforcement logos or is affiliated with law enforcement for that very reason and think how sad that is i mean yeah. being a police officer is one of the things I'm most proud of. You know, I, I'm, I'm thankful that I had a chance to serve and protect. Yeah. But how sad is that, that the reality is that I have to be worried about people identifying me as a former or retired police officer now. And, and what kind of target am I going to be? Because they know I was a police officer. Yeah. Yeah, we could we could literally talk about this for another hour and maybe come up with a solution, maybe not, but but hopefully things will will be changing over the course of of the next several months. Now a word from one of the POCUA's proud business partners, officerprivacy.com. Officerprivacy.com was founded by Pete James, a law enforcement professional with over 25 years of experience. Pete wanted to find a way to help law enforcement officers protect themselves and their families. So he formed a team to create a way to quickly identify and remove their information from certain sites. Officerprivacy.com is the result. This service is already offered through a select few of our POCUA organizations. As a listener of Public Safety Talk Radio, you can take advantage of a special offer from Officerprivacy.com. Go to officerprivacy.com slash POCUA, and when you sign up, you'll get two additional bonuses. In addition to removing your personal information from the top 30 people search sites, they will give you your first two months of monitoring free. This is a value of $39.98. In addition to that, you'll receive a cell phone privacy device, a $19.99 value. This prevents data from leaving your cell phone when you use public charging stations and is a must when traveling. So go to officerprivacy.com slash POCUA today to take advantage of this offer and to protect your privacy. Organizations who are members of the POCUA and are interested in offering the service directly to their members, contact us at POCUA at btcinc.org. But, you know, unfortunately, I know a lot of first responders, you know, are, who are really, really tough women and, and men, you know, they, they don't want to admit or possibly even, you know, fully realize that, you know, they, they, I, they do have a problem or they're having some suicidal thoughts or they're having some issues that they can't 
quite pinpoint, you know, what can family members, because a lot of times family members and close friends will see something before even the first responder, you know, what, what can they do if they suspect that their loved one is, is maybe suffering from PTSI or, or having even suicidal thoughts? You know, I think, first of all, it's important for family members, friends of law enforcement officers to educate themselves and become more familiar with what it is that we do. You know, a simple example is this podcast that we're doing right now. It allows people to see a different perspective, to hear, you know, straight from an officer uh, on how we think and how we act and how things affect us. Um, you know, there's books out there like emotional survival for, for law enforcement. Um, and I can name 10 other books, but you know, the first thing is, you know, read these books, listen to interviews, um, educate yourself, encourage conversations around the table at home. Um, I was really bad at that. When I came home, I didn't want to talk about work. So I left work at work and my private life was my private life, but there needs to be some communication on that, you know, like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry, I'm in a bad mood. It has nothing to do with you. I just had a really bad child call today and I just, I need some time to decompress, but you need to normalize things like that where you're communicating back and forth saying, Hey, look, you know, I had a bad day. It has nothing to do with you. Um, here's briefly kind of what happened without going into the, you know, the gritty details. Um, that's the first part. But if we get past that and now we have family members who are concerned they're seeing the warning signs and those can come in, in different forms. A lot of times it's isolation. Um, it can be anger. It can be depression. It could be sleeping way more than usual, um, cutting yourself off from the things you love to do. Um, you know, avoiding social interactions, not going to family gatherings, avoiding like barbecues with friends, all those types of things can be true warning signs. And you know, the, the facts are that our loved ones know us best. So they're gonna be the ones that are first gonna see changes and they may be gradual at first, mm -hmm. but you need to be there for them. You need to, again, open up the conversation, show support, show compassion. Um, you know, the facts are that we're human, just like everybody else. We're not superheroes as much as we wanna be. Yeah. We're not invincible as much as we're trained to think that way, we're human. And these things have a toll on us. And so I think just communication is, is first and foremost. Um, you know, for a lot of people, spirituality or religion, whether they have pastors or they go to a church um, or people in their congregation, those are other resources. Um, you know, for me personally, what I recommend is that you know, if they have trusted friends who are also in law enforcement or friends with the spouse, maybe reach out to them, you know, let them know your concerns, obviously somebody you trust um, and, and open up that dialogue. But the key is just, you know, don't pretend like it's not happening because that's usually what happens. That's what happens on the job with fellow officers. We see officers who are having a bad day. Something doesn't seem right. We kind of avoid it. We really don't want to go there and ask them like, Hey man, are, are you doing okay? Like, what's going on at home? You know, is, is everything good? We don't go there. We just go, Hey, are you, you good? We're like, yeah, we're fine. And then you press on, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like, we're scared to go there and we need to go there and we need to go there sooner than later. Yeah. 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 I, 
we advocate uh, a number of different resources. One is um, Serve and Protect, where you can talk to somebody 24-7. It's a, it's a hotline. And sometimes it's actually easier to talk to a complete stranger, <laughs> uh, even, even aside from something as serious as, as suicide or PTSI, you know, just simply, you know, having a rough time with all this and needing to just talk to somebody. Uh, you know, not necessarily, you know, a, a department psychiatrist, <laughs> you just, no. just, just somebody who, who gets it, um, you know, that, that, that can make all the difference. One thing that was really helpful for me, um, and they're available to all first responders is they have first responder support meetings. Mm -hmm. And these are all over the United States. They're definitely all over here in the Northern California in the Bay Area. Um, it's just an hour long discussion meeting. It's 100% confidential. It's open to all first responders. So paramedics, dispatchers, firefighters, police officers, um, both present and past. And the beautiful thing about this is, and I started going to these meetings at one point, and that's where I truly saw that I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. That's where I met my brothers and sisters who I didn't work with personally, but I formed a friendship with them. And more importantly, I formed a trust to where I could open up and share things with them because I wasn't worried about repercussions with promotions or assignments, or like you said, seeing a psychiatrist, you know, associated with my agency. It was a private confidential forum. And I found out about those meetings from a group I volunteer for, which is the first responder support network. And they run the West coast post trauma retreat. So if you were to Google, the first responder support network. Um, there's a tab, it says resources. You can click on that. And there's actually a PDF file that will open up with where these meetings are at. And there's a phone number for a POC and you simply call that person, you know, talk to them. They'll, they'll fill you in on where the meeting's at, how it works, and they'll welcome you to come join it. And, and it's really, it's, it's life-saving, it's life-changing. I mean, this could be the very first step where you don't have to use EAP, you don't have to work, use work comp. You don't have to go through your agency therapist. You can simply do this on your own. It doesn't cost any money and it's a hundred percent confidential. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a, a much better choice than um, picking up a bottle or something else. That's for sure. And I'm, I'm appreciative that there are so many resources out there and for anybody that may be listening or watching, you know, if you're, you're, thinking that you, you may have a little, even a little bit of an issue, you know, look for one of these resources. Um, most of them are free. Um, and sometimes it's just a conversation. Um, as, as many friends of mine have, have said, a couple that, that are suicide survivors uh, said that you know, they, they chose to just simply reach out to somebody um, and that made all the difference. So be sure to do that. Um, to switch gears to something uh, definitely more positive, um, although this is a subject we, we obviously need to talk about, um, you've got a book coming out, um, a new book, uh, which is titled Fighting the Darkness, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma. Uh, tell us more about that and when that's going to be available. Is that going to be tomorrow? Did it come out last night? You already done with it and written it what's going on with that mike <laughs> so, um the title is tentative right now and there's a good chance the title may change uh, but the book is actually in progress that's that's a weird title for a book michael tentative 
<laughs> Sorry. I, you know, I, every once in a while, I, I haven't made one stupid joke during this episode yet. It's already, you know, at least a half hour into it. I got to do at least one stupid joke. Otherwise, people won't know it's me. Anyhow, continue. <laughs> no, that, was, that was good. But, yeah, so the, the title, we're still playing it with some other ideas. Um, but the book is in process, and we've actually done seven chapters. There's probably going to be 13 chapters so far. Um, the beautiful thing is, is Dr. Shauna Springer, she's the one that's making this project happen. She's actually a very well-known psychologist. Uh, she graduated from Harvard. She's very well-known as being an expert on post-traumatic stress. And she's already written a couple other books, but she is actually my co-author. And she's the one that is writing this book based on interviews with me and a few other people. And the structure of the book is 90% of it is going to be my story. And it's going to go all the way back to childhood until present day. And at the end of every single chapter, Dr. Shauna Springer is actually going to do a separate section, which is going to provide education, awareness, and explanation for all the things that are discussed in the chapter. And that's why I really think that this book is going to make such a big difference because it's going to be great for all first responders, for military members, but more importantly, it's also going to be good for their family members and their loved ones. And it's going to give them that insight into who we are as first responders. And the whole goal of this book is to save lives. That's it. You know, if we can save one single life from this book, then we've done what we've wanted to do. And that's it. It's simple as that. And I'm not special. My experiences aren't special. Um, nothing I've been involved in is special or unique. The facts are I'm just outspoken. I'm trying to break the stigma and normalize this conversation. And so I'm putting my name and my face to the problem of post-traumatic stress injury in law enforcement and among all first responders. And so I just can't tell you how excited I am about this book. And it will be out for sure this year. Nice. Um, I'm hoping it'll be published within six months, um, but I will be doing constant updates on my social media sites. Um, but it's just, it's going to be an amazing, amazing project. And I couldn't ask for a better partner than Dr. Shauna Springer. She is absolutely amazing and she gets it. She understands our warriors. That's, that's awesome. And so it sounds like it'll be on bookshelves and available for Christmas. So <laughs> you could you could wrap that sucker up and say, here, read this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, I I really appreciate the the work that you're doing, uh, and 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 getting the attention um, that PTSI and, and suicide prevention um, among the first responder community. I can't thank you enough for what you're doing there. Thank you very much. No, my pleasure. Uh, and thank you for spending uh, a little bit of time with us today. Uh, really appreciate being to, being able to dig into your mind a little bit and, uh, and, and give some of our folks in the audience uh, uh, a little guidance with that. Absolutely. It's my honor and my pleasure. Thank you. Well, pleasure was all mine. Thank you again. And thank you to all of you who have either watched or listen to this episode of Public Safety Talk Radio. And we'll be back with you next week with another great episode.
Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.